Welcome to Elevate Louisiana's Engage Videocast. Elevate Louisiana was founded in 2020 to empower women leaders throughout Louisiana by connecting and educating them on the challenges impacting our state with data-driven nonpartisan solutions to make a better future for Louisiana. Hello, I'm your host, Julie Stokes. Today's program will focus on Louisiana's budget and upcoming fiscal session. We're excited to have our special guest, Representative Jerome Zarang, here with us today. Jerome Zarang, or Z as he is known to his friends, grew up hunting and fishing along the coastal marshes of South Louisiana. After many years of working along those coastal marshes in various roles, which included 10 years with the Terrebonne Levee and Conservation District, Z was hired by the governor's office to serve as the director of policy and programs for the governor's office of coastal activities. He later served as the executive director of the Coastal Protection and Restoration Authority, the agency responsible for the implementation of Louisiana's coastal master plan, a $50 billion plan to restore and protect Louisiana's coast. Z left CPRA to run the state legislature and is currently serving as the state representative for House District Number 52. He is chairman of appropriations, vice chairman of the Joint Legislative Committee on the Budget and the Joint Legislative Committee on Capital Outlay. He is a member of the Louisiana Budgetary Control Council, the State Bond Commission, the House Select Leadership Committee, and Joint Select Committee on Louisiana's Economic Recovery. He is also currently serving as principal for Progressive Coastal Consultants. Welcome, Representative Zarang. Hey, Julie, thanks for having me. You bet, we're excited to hear from you today. So first, you know, I've been talking to some people about what's going on in Congress, uh, H.R. 1319. You know, it's the American Rescue Plan Act that's about to be passed in Congress. Mm -hmm. uh, from what I understand, it contains over $3 billion for the state of Louisiana, and that's not even to cover the locals because they have their own money. I think almost $2 million for them. Um, and I would just imagine that this legislation will be hovering over all the talks about the budget this year. So what do we know so far? And there's no doubt, in addition to that, Julie, there's also over a billion that's going to education both uh, K through 12 and higher education. So there's no doubt there's a significant amount of dollars coming to the state. And fortunately for us last year, we were able to use those dollars to close the fiscal gap that we had. And we anticipate that we will do the same thing. The challenge is going to be in the out years, next fiscal year and the year after that, when the, the tax, uh, partisan sales tax rolls off, when these federal dollars aren't in, and if the economy doesn't improve, hopefully as we project it would be, uh, we're gonna have some, some budget issues we're gonna have to contend with. But for right now, there's no doubt that there's uh, intense interest in both the amount of money and how to utilize those monies in the best interest of the state. And obviously to help those people who are in need. I think the primary purpose supposed to be for helping those who are being affected by, apart from everything else you read, uh, helping those who have been impacted through this uh, COVID-19 crisis. Yeah, so I mean, what do we know so far about what we can do with all of that money? Um, does it have to cover COVID-related expenses or can it, what can it be used for? Well, I envision that similar to the last uh, 
series of money that came through, there were specific requirements that the federal government imposed on the utilization of those funds. And, and there will similarly be with these funds coming down. We don't have those requirements and, and regulations that are going to be used for the distribution of those dollars. Something unlike we, we anticipate, unlike the last tranche of money that came through, that there is going to be specific allocations to the community. So pre last, the, the funding that came through previously, it went through the state and then the state distributed it to the local communities. Uh, we anticipate there's gonna be an increased flexibility on the utilization of those funds and there will be direct allocations to communities. So we don't have all the requirements and restrictions just yet, but that's gonna be forthcoming once the bill is finally passed. But that we do anticipate there's gonna be increased flexibility and more direct payments. Yeah, like um, uh, 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 somebody was telling me yesterday that um, some things were written into it that, for instance, um, one side of the aisle up in DC wanted to make sure that it wasn't used to lower taxes. And then the other side of the aisle was wanted to make sure that it wasn't used to pay down pension obligations. Um, so, you know, I think some of that, that might actually color some of the discussions around tax reform, because it's going to be really important that we don't accidentally lower taxes um, in doing some of those reforms. Well, right. And that's going to be the challenge that we're going to have to make sure that we are aware of those things because it cannot be used to offset if you modify taxes or reduce taxes and utilize those dollars. There are going to be uh, specific restrictions. And I'm looking at trying to find some of the ones that were being suggested. And as we go through it, I'll, I'll be able to discuss some of those. But we really don't have too many specifics in terms of, of the allocation of those dollars. But yes, preliminary uh, indications are that you know you can't use it for offsetting some of the losses by reduction in taxes to offset some of that. And I, but I think there is some that could be used for union pensions that are, that that I've been read that I've read that is part of the proposed bill. So that is going to be I think part of it as well. And that's interesting. So um, there's a few things I know that are on the horizon. Like I noticed. Um, and, and I think if Christy hasn't already to put up the link to the um, governor's executive budget um, slideshow that was um, presented to joint budget. Uh, was that last week, Z, or the week before? Yes, it was yeah. the 26th, the JLCB meeting that he presented the budget. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so uh, one of the things that I noticed on that was a big bond refinancing that's supposed to happen soon. Um, and then there was also um, some payments um, that we have to make on the levies. And, yeah. and I wondered if we'd be able to, if there's a way to possibly use any of that money to get us out of this, the, all the interest that we're going to end up having to pay. Um, have right. been, has anybody talked about that? Yeah, well, in sitting on bond commission, there's no doubt because of the market and the rates that are right now, it is in the state's best best interest to refinance a lot of those bonds or to borrow money. It's as cheap as it's ever been. So it, it is in the state's best interest to do that. In regard to the hurricane storm damage risk reduction, there's acronyms, all the his this is what they call it, is a goofy name, but it, it stands for the hurricane storm damage risk reduction system, which is the levy protection system in and around New Orleans. It, it's Jefferson, Orleans, St. Bernard, Plaquemine, St. Charles, all the, the parishes that are affected by that. Well, as such, it's a $14 billion project, 
but there is a requirement for a cost share that the state has to provide. We've always knew there was going to be an obligation, but now the bill is actually becoming due. The alternatives right now are we can either pay on a 30-year incremental basis, which ultimately would be about 70 million per year for 30 years, which would equate to about 30 billion um, would equate to over three billion dollars in terms of what we would would owe. What has been negotiated with our congressional delegation, uh, Congressman Graves, Congressman Scalise, and others, um, have gone on to great lengths to negotiate this, and Congressman Graves has been involved since he was at CPRA, in trying to negotiate the best terms for the state to come up with a way to pay that back. And they've negotiated a process that if we can come up with a majority and show a good faith effort to the federal government, it would relate, it would equate to about a $1.2 billion payback as opposed to $3 billion. And that would require two bond iterations for the next two years of $400 million. And then on the third year, utilizing credit that has been established from the state contributions and other projects that have been implemented. So transition some of that for credit and use that credit to offset some of the obligation. So these next two years, you kind of have to take it on the chin, but it definitely in the long run, you know, you save over close to $2 billion. It's in the state's best interest to pursue that. So that's, that's, that is going to be a significant issue and something to be discussed by the legislature this year as we craft in fact of the budget. I was just thinking about, you know, our, our cash position in Louisiana. And certainly, um, I remember right as um, 2016, I guess, was beginning, and it was probably your first session, right? Yes. Um, and I remember that the cash position, like what was actually in the bank for the general fund, was very, very negative. Um, has that improved? Do you know? Yeah, well, the rainy day fund and the money that we've been that we've set aside, uh, we've made some improvements in addressing that. Also, the debt in regard to um, unfunded accrued liability, which is was significant, we're now fortunately on the downward trajectory in terms of we've reached the the peak and on that downside. The way it was structured you know, a couple of decades ago was that there was these balloon payments and it was cheap for a while and then the balloon payments hit and then we finally got to the point where we're now on the downward trajectory with a path to ultimately paying that off within the next couple of decades. And that's just great news. Uh, one of the talking points that I always, you know, would discuss is that, you know, take one agency, take Department of Education. Um, it would look like we were spending a lot more than inflation over 10 years or whatever would allow. But then when you looked at how much we were paying in, in, in pay downs on the uh, pension liability, the UAL, um, it was just for two or two systems. It was the teacher system and then the, um, the uh, laser system, which is the administrative side. Just in those, the, the debt payments alone were like a billion dollars more all for all these systems than it was 10 years prior because what happened it was that in 1989 or so we passed a constitutional amendment saying that the unaccrued uh, the unfunded accrued liability um had to be paid off in 2029 i think yeah. mm -hmm. right and when we did that they amortized it little bitty tiny itsy bitty and then blowing up 
And that's what you're talking about right now. Right. And, and a few years ago, we were at the top of that, um, you know, just huge balloon payment. And now we're coming back down. So that's going to make a big difference in Louisiana's ability to, you know, bounce back from disasters. Um, yes. And, and that will be significant because there's no doubt that that is a, a huge debt and burden uh, for the on the future of Louisiana and our ability to get through this, but the fact that we're now on a path to solvency when it comes from to addressing the unfunded accrued liability is going to be significant. And and I did find I wanted to go back to the previous point about the use of the funds, the federal dollars, mm -hmm. and the specific reference is that within the American Rescue Plan, the restrictions on those funds in general that a state cannot use the funds provided. Uh, under this section to either directly or indirectly offset a reduction in net tax revenue or such state or territory resulting from a change in law, regulation, or, or administrative interpretation during the covered period that reduces any tax and uh, so, or the imposition of any tax increase. And the other restriction is that no state or territory may use the funds available for uh, pension funds. So. Yeah. Yeah. Those are a couple of those restrictions. And, and to the point you were making, there is no doubt that, and, and as you advocated for when you were here, you know, restructuring our tax structure, the way we, we tax businesses and individuals and, and the way we actually budget the state in terms of the revenues through taxation, we need to do a better job in how we do that. And so there is a big push and there will be, there is going to be legislation to look at reform, tax reform. And we just need to be cognizant of the fact that the utilization of the, some of those funds, because if you look at what the budget is proposed, there's no doubt that they're looking at that for what may be considered non-recurring or at least expenses that, that we won't have available for funding next year. And we can't factor, we have to make sure that any tax changes have to factor that in as well. Yeah, let, let, I want to come back to that because that's going to be, I think, one of the biggest issues in the session. But I want to just kind of preface that by talking about the session, or I'm sorry, the budget that uh, for the fiscal year that ends in a few months. So mm -hmm. Louisiana's budget year goes through June 30th. So we're currently in the, the fiscal year 2021. So when the session meets in, in April, there will still be a couple of months of 2021 left. And there's usually a few budgetary items to clear up. Uh, and I, I guess my question now is that where do we stand on this year's budget? Okay, so the fiscal year that ended, uh, fiscal year 20, that we just, it, we ended, uh, had a surplus of over $270 million. It's rare and unique, but we, we did actually have a surplus. Now, the challenge with that, it, as, as you know, and, and for those on the call, may not be aware of the fact that surplus dollars can only be used for six constitutional items. And that's the budget stabilization fund, the retirement system, unfunded accrued liability, of which we just talked about, and uh, defeasance of bonds, capital outlay, highway construction, coastal protection, and restoration authority. And so that, you know, the rainy day fund automatically a percentage goes to that. And then we can allocate those surplus dollars to one of these, of the remaining other six items that the money can be utilized for. So that 270 million can be used in that regard. Capital outlay, those things that are important, those one-time dollars, and that's primarily it. You want to make sure you can 
reduce the obligations, but also you want to make sure you're addressing some of the critical needs and priorities of the state. The revenue estimating, con well, I'm sorry, you want to talk about that before we go well, to the next? Yeah, that $270 million, um, and where it will be used will be legislation in the upcoming session, or some of that's already just, it, it just happens, like it has to go to rainy day, right? But then there'll be a bill, or what? Yes, and there's no doubt that um, Representative Bishop, who heads up the Ways and Means Commission, of which that will determine where a lot of the funding will be allocated or used, potentially used, especially for surplus, has indicated that, and, and to his credit, and then the speaker and the body put aside over, and this is the first time I think in the history of the body that they've set aside over $100 million in surplus dollars that could be used, and that's where some of this is, is reflective in this dollar amount, to hold off in the event that economic times, it, it was difficult, or the utilization of the federal dollars would have left the hole. So it was prudent to ensure that those surplus dollars were available if need be. So I think the same tact will be used. I don't want to speak for um, Representative Bishop or the speaker, but I think there's an interest based upon the fact that, again, as we previously discussed, next fiscal year and the year after, when we won't have these federal dollars coming in, we need to make sure that we're uh, preparing for the future without these dollars. You're not depending upon and relying on them because, you know, ultimately the bills come due. So some of it will be used for uh, projects, capital outlay, critical needs, coastal restoration, but I think there is going to be an interest in reserving and preserving some of those dollars in some of the out years. Yeah, yeah. So and what you mean by that is, is allocating it to the rainy day fund, probably. Yes bigger per, a bigger percentage of it than is statutorily required which we've gotten the rainy day fund back i think now that the, the the total i don't have the exact figure but it's it's over 500 million dollars so it's it's in pretty good shape right now yeah yeah and that's that's a big win um because there were days when i thought boy if it does rain we're gonna, we're gonna be in some deep trouble here <laughs> yeah no that's that's really good um you know, so that's the that's the surplus from the fiscal year that ended 2020, correct? Right. Yes. Okay. And then going into this fiscal year that's ending 2021, how is that one looking? Does it so, look? Like, yeah. Yes, it it looks better. Uh, in so much as, as you know, the revenue estimating conference uh, identifies or assesses what the budget can be, and essentially the numbers that we can work with in establishing the budget. Well, they revised their current estimate for this fiscal year, uh, upward of 294, up, which is now $294 million, which is considered excess. And so the thing about excess, unlike surplus, it's not limited on how it can be spent. So it can be used on any appropriation or transferred to the current year. And we do anticipate that there is going to be a deficit, or there, there was projected to be a deficit in REC, but there's no doubt that this excess in their estimation is going to definitely offset what the projected deficit was going to be, and it can be used to offset some of those costs, and can be used for um, other critical needs. And I think within the executive budget, uh, and, and again, you, you, you put the link out there, and it's... You know, if you want to get down the weeds and the nitty gritty of what the state budget is, you can pick that up. But according to the commissioner, what he proposed with excess in the budget, he gave a brief overview and, and put the link on some of that. And you can see that 
is potential expenses that they're thinking about using excess for are disaster expenses associated with hurricanes, ice storms, and COVID-19, this, this recent ice storm, really, in addition to all the storms that the Southwest and other areas took it on the chin, adding insult to injury, the ice storms caused significant problems. So they're looking at using some funding for that. Correction in local housing. Uh, wildlife and fisheries. Uh, I heard that Rebecca was on the previous call and she mentioned an interest in wildlife funding. And there is no doubt that the Department of Wildlife and Fisheries, which relies heavily on royalties from oil and gas, is having a significant fiscal issue in terms of how to continue funding. And, and I think that's the administration indicated a willingness to try to do something about that. Also looking at public, public safety services and judgments. We haven't paid judgments in a while in the state. And I think that's something we, we need to address. And I think leadership, both um, President Cortez and Speaker um, Schechtschneider have indicated a desire to at least address, address some of those and get take care of some of that backlog. So those are the things that the administration has proposed. We, or will the body will then develop HB1 and incorporate some, all of portions of this. Yeah, and, and that was a good point. So, and most people, I, I didn't pick it up really for a while, is that when you speak in terms of surplus or deficit, that is an unknown item. So that has to be from the prior year. And when you talk about excess and shortfall, is that the right word, shortfall? Mm -hmm. Then that is the current year and it's still an, an unknown, it's just an estimate. Um, right. So, um, you know, when we look at the next fiscal year, so now, you know, we've kind of gone through 2020, 2021, 2022. And that's what, when you click on that um, budget presentation, you know, most of that is directed toward where the administration wants to go in 2022. And in this session, it's up to the legislature to, to decide um, how they're gonna address what the administration wants and what they see or what they believe that's needed. Um, so what's the situation with deficit and surplus or estimates um, and what those, you know, what's gonna happen with the, the coming year, 2022? Where do we look like we stay? You know, where are we? Sure, so the executive budget, the recommendation that uh, Commissioner Darden presented to the Joint Legislative Budget Committee includes a total of $40.2 billion. And if you take out the interagency transfer, for, which is really the number that you, you're dealing with, is $36.6 billion without double counts. I mean, it's crazy. You're an accountant, Julie. You can appreciate that. I just still don't understand why we interagency transfers. You're double counting money. I mean, it is what it is. Why the heck we're double counting? But it's, anyway, it is what it is, and that's part of budget uh, government accounting. But... When you cut to the chase, it's 30, the budget is roughly $36.6 billion without the double count of funds. Right. And, and so when you look at it, it's a state general fund of about $9.5 billion. And the change from the actual NHB1 from the previous years is an increase, uh, a decrease of $77 million of inter state general fund interagency transfers and all the other things not to get too far into the weeds you can definitely look at it if you want some sleep if you want some good melatonin melatonin for bed pick up the budget and start reading through it but essentially what it is is the estimated budget fiscal year 21 was right around 40 billion the proposed fiscal year 22 budget is right about 
200 million less than what was proposed, there's no cuts. But again, there is still a projected deficit and they're using how the, that money will be used from the federal dollars to close that gap. We, we need to be mindful that we're not increasing um, or obligating the state further out without anticipating a way to fund those, those changes. And so, you know, that, that kind of goes into the argument about one-time money, non-recurring revenue, because you don't want to fund thing, you know, expenses or expenditures that will continue into the future. You don't want to fund year one with one-time money, because then where are you going to get the money from in year two and year three? Right. And wasn't there a lot of one-time money in the 2021 budget? Yes, and, and, but there was a projected deficit, significant deficit that we used over $900 million of the federal money that came through to close that gap. And similarly, in fiscal year 22, uh, the gap is going to be solved without reductions to state agencies. And the way they're doing that is looking at, you know, $406 million increase in state general fund that's projected from 21 to 22, uh, looking at utilizing some of those dollars. We're primarily looking at maybe the excess, the, the money we just talked about, using some excess and some other dollars. Also 720 million in other revenue replacing substitutions. And that's where it comes in, where you're crafting a way to utilize those federal dollars. And of that 721 million, uh, 721 million 608 million is going to be due to the enhanced federal medical assistance percentage. What happens to the federal medical assistance program is what the federal government requires the state the percentage to pay for their federal funding. Through COVID last year, we were able to utilize that benefit because they reduced the percentage. And if you reduce the percentage of billions of dollars, you're really talking about some significant money. So they reduced that percentage. They're reducing it again for this. this the term of what the next fiscal year is, their federal budget year is different from ours essentially, but, but over the term of what we're projecting for next fiscal year, we're assuming about 608 million will be due to that uh, FMAP percentage reduction. And so that is what's going to be used to close that gap and cover the, the, the need for this next fiscal year. Right. Yeah, so in the end, what's going to happen um, from what I can see is that there's a couple of like raises for teachers that's going to increase the MFP, right? Mm -hmm. Like 40, 40 million. There's some other raises and things and that there's going to probably be a battle over whether or not those things can happen because of the one-time money situation. Yeah, and, and, and it's important to remember. So go back, go back to fiscal year. 21, the, the current year that we're in right now. The major sources of revenue that we use in 21 that are no longer going to be available, and we keep referring to the, the CARES Act dollars that came in, but it was over $522 million that we used from federal coronavirus relief funds, or CARES Act dollars. So $521 million. 309 were means of finance substitutions that we use, and you're familiar with that. And I, we could spend the rest of the day getting to these weeds, <laughs> not to bore everybody. But in addition, there was also another 90 million that was used from the budget stabilization fund. So that was a total of $920 million that we used last, well, this current fiscal year, fiscal year 21, to close that gap. The revenue for next fiscal year, again, that these dollars won't be available 
for fiscal year 23 after that, but we're gonna use that as projected within the budget. I'm not saying we, this is the, what is uh, proposed through the executive budget. 366 million will be used for the medical assistance trust fund as a means of finance substitution. Uh, the FMAP will be used, again, we don't know the, the exact percentage, but they're gonna use the FMAP similar to what we did this current fiscal year. And it's around 241 million in FMAP from July to December. And there's another 113 lottery proceed funds and means of finance substitution. And the way they're doing that is the lottery funds, which funds education, because of the fact that kids weren't in school or the, the, the request from the MFP, that that number was reduced. So by reducing that number, that's less the proceeds that were used for gambling to cover that would now be available for this fiscal year. But that's only a one-time deal because we didn't spend it last year. We're using it this year, but that won't be available next year. So roughly we have about 720 million that, that is proposed, that the administration is proposing to close the or a fund that keeps saying that they're not making cuts, but they're using over $720 million to fund the proposed budget with dollars that won't be available next fiscal year. And so one of the things that you were referring to was some of the challenges that within the budget. So the general fund increases for fiscal year 22 that's proposed in the budget, they're looking at uh, 56 million to go to higher education. Again, fully support higher education. We need to continue to do what we can to support that, but we're increasing the, the budget from fiscal year 21 by 56 million for higher education, 23 million for TOPS and GO grants, uh, 59.4 million to corrections and local housing, uh, 25.3 million for statewide adjustments, including the market rate increase for state workers, and 40 million for teachers and support worker pay raises. So yeah. those are going to be increases within the budget that we're going to have to address as we move forward and then how to propose pay for that. Yeah, and I'm sure that the argument's going to be, yeah, they're one-time money this year, but it's very likely that once this COVID situation goes away, which we're hoping that that's going to be in the near term, that the budget ought to return somewhat to normal once tourism pack picks back up and all of that. So it'll be an interesting fight, and I can't wait to watch it from the outside. Oh, oh it will. And I agree 100% that, look, I'm one of the most optimistic people out there. I am I'm hoping, and like everyone else, that the economy will improve. And all indications are, if you look at the GDP and the numbers, why did the REC revise their estimate? Because their numbers weren't as bad as what was projected through this COVID crisis. There's no doubt that businesses are hurting, businesses are closed. It was an impact, but the projected impact wasn't as bad. But as optimistic as I am, I don't think it's gonna, the economy is gonna prove to the tune of over $700 million. So if it doesn't, then how are we gonna fund these continued expenditures than outlying fiscal year. Yeah. So, um, okay, one thing before we, we, we jump off this, this call, this video cast, is early childhood education and care. Um, mm -hmm. I noticed that it's not in the executive budget. And last year when sports betting um, was passed, and but, you know, at first it passed in the legislature to go to a vote of the people in each parish, and now it's coming back to the legislature to figure it out how to do it in the nuts and bolts. That money was supposed to be dedicated to early childhood. And 
is that, you know, how much will that be, I guess, is the first question. And can the families of Louisiana count on the legislature to keep it where it was dedicated to when it was passed to go to the ballot last year? Well, again, the process to utilization of those funds will be worked out through the legislative process. I can assure you that there is a significant commitment on the part of the body, I don't want to speak for the Senate, but at least the House, to look at a ways to funding early childhood education and utilizing that, uh, that commitment that was made, utilizing those funds to help fund that. Now, to what degree and how, ultimately that's going to have to work through the legislative process as you go through establishing the, 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 the parishes have approved or those that have approved sports betting are, are, are going to be afforded the opportunity to utilize it. The utilization of funds will be developed through the legislative process, and that's what we're going to work through this year. But I, but I know there is a significant interest to utilize those dollars for the purposes of early childhood education and support it as much as we can. Yeah, I'm sure that there's plenty out there that would say that it was promised. So we'll, we'll see how that one goes. Um, you know, there's a few other things that we could talk about, um, but just really quick, like rapid answers. Unemployment trust fund, is that gonna fall under your domain or is that gonna fall into another committee? Well, the labor committee and others look at it, but ultimately it's gonna have to be funded and it will come through uh, appropriations, joint legislative budget in terms of how we're going to address that. The unemployment insurance, we borrowed over $133 million. We're, we're getting to the point where we're going to have to borrow additional dollars from the federal government. Like many other states across the United States, a majority of them have to borrow it, but they ultimately have to pay that back. Or, well, and they have to pay it back, but how to fund that, hopefully we can maybe use some of these CARES Act dollars. If not, you have to incur penalties by employees and employers to pay that that uh, to get the unemployment insurance fund, trust fund, back into solvency. And so the burden, we don't want it to fall on businesses and employees. And I think the intent is, is to make sure that it, that doesn't. And we've delayed that this past legislative session. And hopefully we can use CARES dollars to fill that gap and not and pay this back without having to incur the debt on the yeah. uh, employees and employers. Yeah, because I think it'll be difficult to even figure out how to... Um how to spend the $3.2 billion that is likely to come our way in the coming weeks. Um, so that would be a really helpful thing if, if it could be used in that regard. So uh, yeah. one last thing, uh, we, we have uh, committees that um, focus on the different policy, policy areas in the state. Our policy committee on healthcare met yesterday and um, I was a little confused because when I looked at what they were talking about in, the, um, in that committee meeting, they talked about some money for peer support and crisis stabilization for mental health. And there's supposed to be 6.5 million that comes from the state that would get matched with 13 and a half million from the federal government. Mm -hmm. Is that in this budget now or was that just a budget request that didn't get funded? Do you know? I need to go back to that specific item. We did put it in because there's no doubt that behavioral services and behavioral health are unfortunately woefully underfunded and, and we need to address that. And, and the intent was, is we provided matching dollars that would have brought in an additional 30 million, I think, and that might be the money you're talking about to specific to behavioral services. And so 
I, I think that's the intent. Uh, I need to go back and see if it, we've met that obligation or if we need to reapply to ensure that we can get those funds. And I'll look into the budget and see if it's there. Good, okay. Well, um, that's about all the time we have for today. I'd really like to thank our guest representative, Sarang. Uh, over the coming weeks, we will host additional roundtable discussions with some other state legislators. The other scheduled roundtables can be found on our website at www.elevatela.org, and that's elevate with two L's, E-L-L-E-V-A-T-E-L-A.org. Uh, finally, and importantly, we will host our Legislative Leadership Conference on March 24th with Senate President Paige Cortez, Speaker of the House Clay Schecksneider, and Governor John Bell Edwards, who will update us on what they anticipate happening in the upcoming session. We'll also be hosting a day at the legislature on April 27th, where we will meet with legislators, attend committee meetings, and get an up-close look at working at the State Capitol. And finally, don't forget to like Elevate Louisiana on all of your social media platforms and share this video cast on your page if you found it interesting. I'm your host, Julie Stokes, and we'll see you next time.